0: This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Looking forward to see how that gift of extortion works out. Yeah, what's your FBI husband going to think of that? Now I'm really excited to see this ministry take off, um, and they are here to help in, in all different kinds of ways. Um, men, I'd lay down the gauntlet to you. If anyone feels led to do something similar like to that on the men's side, um, the door is open. And uh, you'll get to know them more over the coming weeks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, I pray this morning that you would speak, that we would have an encounter with your truth and your grace and your love and your mercy, and that, that through that truth, through your word, we would encounter you. And that by encountering you, we would be laid bare and built up, that we would be exposed and covered, that that we would be convicted and encouraged all at the same time, Lord. Break down the idols in our hearts, the the worldly desires we have, and replace them with a stronger desire to see you, to know you, and to know your son. So it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. We're going to be at the end of Romans chapter 8 this morning as we continue our summer series on refrigerator verses, where we're taking those verses that our culture has taken out of context and turned into kind of simple cliche platitudes. And we're looking at those verses in context to see what they really mean. And this morning, we kind of get a bonus verse from our passage. Uh, a twofer, the, the main verse we're going to look at is the verse that says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, but before I go any further, literally that verse means hypo, Neat Nike, if you got Nike shoes, it means conqueror, it literally means that we are hyper overcomers is what that verse means Kind of a bonus, though, in this passage, we're also going to see that verse that says that he who did not spare his son, but gave him to you, why wouldn't he give you all things as well? It's another verse. Now, our culture has taken verses like these, and what's happened is is they've been turned into these cliche axioms like we can't be defeated on this earth. We can't be defeated by bullies, by bosses. Can't be defeated by hardship. Uh, There's plenty of coaches that apparently believe God has favorite sports teams because they quote this verse all the time in locker rooms. However, it was Mike Tyson that said, everyone has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. And honestly, that saying could not be more applicable to how our culture has corrupted these verses. You see, many American Christians have a plan of how they think things should go, how they want them to go, what they think God should do. They have an expectation of the things God's going to give them and and how he's going to help them conquer. And unfortunately, many of them have these plans because they've twisted passages like this to back themselves up, to, to say that they can be victorious over anyone or anything because God is on their side. Are you struggling with a coworker that's trying to sabotage your career? Well, you are more than a conqueror. Are you struggling with a bully at school? Well, according to this verse, you are more than a conqueror, so you should go and you will defeat that bully after school behind the gym, even though he weighs 100 pounds more than you. And, and just like it says on TV, you'll probably become good friends because you're more than a conqueror. That's kind of what they've done with these verses. <coughs> That's the cliche that our culture has turned passages like this into. That God wants to give us everything we want and help us win at everything. But that's not how life goes, is it? We don't conquer everything. We don't get everything we want. We do get hit in the mouth by life and bullies sometimes. And it's at this point that the plan of many Christians falls apart. And the sad part is, is that when it does, when they realize that, that this plan that they had is not really what the Bible means, they, are, they feel dismayed. They're confused. They don't know where God is. They, they're not sure what to think. There's this quiet whisper in their mind that says maybe God isn't who you thought He was. Maybe He doesn't really love you. Maybe He has left you alone. So... Have you ever had plans like this fall apart? Do you have a plan right now? Do you have a plan right now for how your kids should grow up and become? What they should be? Who they should be? Do you have a plan right now for your retirement? Because God's on your side. A plan for what your life or your marriage or your job is? should look like, a plan that for all intents and purposes is good. How's that plan working out for you? Have you been hit in the mouth yet? So what does the Bible mean then? Because it literally says right here in black and white in Romans chapter 8, verse 37... We are more than conquerors. So which is it? Are we conquerors or not? And if so, what exactly do we conquer? That's what we're going to look at this morning. We are more than conquerors, but of what? We are more than conquerors, but but what are we more than conquerors of? Before we get going, since we're dropping into the middle of a book, I want to lay some groundwork that we need to understand where we are. Look at the beginning of verse 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. There's a very important question we need to answer before we go anywhere. The beginning of verse 31, Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? And if any if you've been here for any amount of time, you know what question we need to ask, which is what are these things? If we're going to say something about these things, what are they? Because apparently what Paul is about to say is something about these things. Well, we always want to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Wouldn't you know, Paul has already used this argument a couple of times. Flip backwards to Romans chapter 6 real quick. Because if he's already used this form of this argument, maybe we can look at these other ways that he's used it and we can see what he means in chapter 8. I want you to look actually at the last two verses of Romans chapter 5. It's, uh, gonna be, we're going to begin in verse 20. Paul said, Now the law came into increase the trespass, but where sin increased, increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in Romans chapter 5, Paul has just finished explaining that one of the reasons that God gave the law was to define our sin, to put a name on it, to make a list of it. But in defining our sin, what happened is, is God actually exposed how much we sin. We start putting labels on things, and then that paper just keeps going and going and going and going. In other words, when God defined our sin, it actually caused the number of trespasses to grow because it exposed the depth of our sin. But Paul said that the reason God wanted to do that was because if He exposed the depth of our sin, that would in turn serve only to expose the height of His grace. The more sinful He could prove us to be, the more gracious he was seen. That's what Paul means when he says that the trespass increased so that grace could could abound. However, with that said, there's a question Paul knows that his readers are asking. And that is, if the increase of sin was so that grace could abound, does that mean we should keep sinning so that grace could abound more? Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Because Paul tells us the answer to that question, but I want you to notice how he does it. It should sound familiar. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, of course, by no means. Now, look at chapter 7. He does the same thing. I want you to look at verse 5 of chapter 7. Paul says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death in other words if i told you to think about a pink elephant you couldn't do anything but think about a pink elephant just cuz i told you not to paul is saying the same thing is true when it comes to our sin and the law not only did the law expose the depth of our sin but the law actually gave our sin a whole list of things to do. You didn't know that was wrong. And that, and that, and that, and that. It's kind of like putting a marshmallow on the table in front of a a toddler and telling them not to eat it. All they can think about is eating that marshmallow. And the same is true for us in the law. As soon as the law said not to do something, that's all we wanted to do. But again, there's a natural question, Paul knows, that, that is raised in the mind of his hearers. And again... He tells us what that question is in verse 7 of Romans 7. And again, notice the similar language. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. So, what Paul is doing is is he's building up this argument and then there's this conclusion. What shall we say to what I just said? And, And now that we're familiar with this pattern, flip back to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And look at the question Paul says we should be asking. He starts with that same phrase. What then shall we say to these things? And here's the question. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the question apparently that should be asked about what Paul just said. And in order to really understand this question, I want you to just glance down to the beginning of verse 34. He says, who is to condemn? That's actually the same word. In the end of verse 31, where he said, who can come against us? And then in verse 34, he said, who is to condemn? And then glance back to verse 1 of Romans chapter 8. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, these are all the same root word. That word against in verse 31, that word condemn in verse 34, it's all the same word. The question we should be asking is, who can condemn us based on what he just said? So if we know the question we should be asking is, who can condemn us? Then what did Paul just say that should be eliciting that question in our mind. We'll look at verse 28 of chapter 8. Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, putting all of this together, at the beginning of Romans 8, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And then in verses 28 through 30, he said, There is no condemnation, because those whom God knows, He called. Those He calls, He justifies. Those He justifies, are those He predestines, He justifies. And those He justifies, He glorifies. So, Paul, it kind of sounds like you're saying we can't be condemned. Like nobody can violate or change or alter or manipulate the plan that God has for our life and salvation. And Paul is saying, exactly, you got it. You cannot be condemned. You cannot be taken out of God's heart, out of His hand. And this is the first thing I want you to see in our passage. When Paul says that we are more than conquerors, what he means is that we are more than conquerors of those who would try to condemn us. Those who would try to condemn us. But now look at the glory that Paul reveals is behind that blessed truth. There's two of them. First, notice in verse 32 that Paul says we are more than conquerors of those who would try to condemn us because God is all in. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. So I want you to picture this. Your teenage son just turned 15. Just got his learner's permit and he wants to start driving. And like every other teenage boy, he is just slugging it out through full stupid. (laughs) And let's just say that you are capable and willing. Bear with me here. Capable and willing to buy this kid, like a 2022 Lamborghini Huracan. It's about a $200,000 car that'll go zero to 60 in a little less than two seconds. If you were to buy that car, would you just come home, toss him the keys and be like, here you go, son. And then shut the door behind you and be like, well, I hope he doesn't screw that up as he backs out of the driveway at like 50 miles an hour. Of course you wouldn't do that. If you were going to do that, you would make sure that kid had everything possible that he needed or could need in order to drive a vehicle like that. And Paul is saying something similar about God. Paul is not saying, listen, Paul is not saying that God is like some genie in a lamp who is going to give you everything you need. This passage is about being condemned. No, this passage is saying that that God's not going to just give you his son to die for you and then be like, well, that's done. I hope they don't screw that up. No, he's going to graciously give you everything you need to keep from becoming condemned. Because God went all in with Jesus. And that was a gift he will not let go to waste. Listen to me. What Paul is saying is there is not a single person who truly believes that Christ died for them. That means you. That God will allow to lose their salvation. It's not possible. God would not let Christ's sacrifice be wasted like that. Hebrews is very clear that if that was the case, then Christ would have to be sacrificed over and over and over again for somebody to be saved over and over and over again. That's why he's answering this question after verses 28 through 30. Look again. uh, Verse 29. We call these verses the golden chain for this reason specifically. It says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Listen, what that means is, is there are no dropouts in the plan of God. It's not possible. In fact, look at the end of verse 30 again. According to God, your salvation is such a sure thing that He says your glorification is past tense. That's how sure God is that you cannot be condemned. You have been glorified as far as God is concerned. Brothers and sisters, we are more than conquerors of those who would try to condemn us because God is all in. He will graciously give you everything you need, the growth, the conviction, the teaching, the forgiveness, the repentance, the sanctification, everything that you need to keep you from becoming condemned, to keep you from losing your salvation. We are more than conquerors of those who would try to condemn us because God's all in. But next. Paul says that the way God is all in The reason we are more than conquerors of those who would try to condemn us is because Jesus has already been condemned and vindicated. Look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. John Calvin said that because of verse 34, you and I can insert our names into verse 31. He he said something like this, I'm summarizing. Put your name in the blank. If God is for grant, then who can be against me? Because Jesus was the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for me. So listen, if you're here this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus, I want you to listen to what our God is saying to you here. The fact of the matter is, is that you do stand condemned before God. Because He created you and He makes the rules. and We've broken them and disobeyed Him. What God is saying here to you is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Every single other religion in the world. He's saying, I condemned myself so that you don't have to be. What kind of God would do that for people? Again, I challenge you to find another God who would do that. And for those of you who are here and do believe, listen to me. I know there are those times when all of us feel condemned in some way. At different times in different ways we all feel this immense pressure to prove to God that we were worth killing Jesus for. If you're feeling that way listen to the freedom that God is offering you in these verses. When you feel those Voices of condemnation rising in your head. When you feel those thoughts that creep in and say, you don't deserve to be saved. You don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve grace. I want you to hear two other voices. I want you to hear my voice saying, it's way worse than you think. Way worse than you think. The second voice I want you to hear. When those voices grow in your heart that say you, you, what you deserve from God is for Him to walk away and say that it was a mistake to save you. When you hear that voice, I want you to hear God say, over Christ's dead and resurrected body will I walk away from you. It's kind of like if you've ever played a sport. Imagine that you're pounding the other team. I mean, it's just out of control. Sometimes that other team might start to make gains on that deficit that you've increased. And when that happens, occasionally, the uh, opposing crowd might start cheering and the other team might start talking trash. And what do you do when they start doing that? Just point at the scoreboard. You just point at the scoreboard, and it just sucks all the oxygen out of any hope that they had. Meaning, when this world, or even ourselves, tries to condemn us, even if it seems like sin is making gains in our lives, when those voices in your head start talking trash, you just point to the cross. You just point to the victory that's already in the bag and see if they got anything else to say. Because the truth of the gospel that Paul is proclaiming here in this passage is that we are more than conquerors of those who would condemn us, even ourselves. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are as vindicated as he is. And he's sitting at the right hand of God. So what does that say? We are more than conquerors of those who would try to condemn us because God condemned and vindicated Jesus on our behalf. That's what Paul is saying. That's the the first thing that we are more than conquerors of. More than conquerors of those who would try to condemn us. However, what about when that condemnation goes past words and accusations? What about when that condemnation becomes real, physical, bloody suffering? Look at the next section of our text, verse 35. Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written... Brothers and sisters, listen to me when I say. I believe that we are witnessing in real time this transition in our culture. We are witnessing in real time the persecution of the saints transition from accusations and words to real physical suffering and pain. We are witnessing how after our enemy twists the minds of sinful man, first to reject God and everything about him, after he does that, after he's accomplished that, he turns their attention and their anger and their rejection and their hatred toward his people. In fact, I say with great sorrow and heartache that I believe it will be in my lifetime that American Christians will really begin to experience very real, physical persecution for their faith in this country. I don't know if it will be tomorrow, or next year, or 30 years from now. But it's coming. Therefore, Paul not only wants us to know that we are more than conquerors of those who would condemn us, but also that we are more than conquerors of those who think they can separate us from the love of God. We are more than conquerors of those who think they can separate us from the love of God. Look again at verse 37. Paul says, no, in all these things... Again, what things? Well, he just said we are being slaughtered all day long. He just said tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Why are we more than conquerors? Well, verse 38, for or because. We are more than conquerors because I am sure that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present or to come, powers, nor height, depth, any of those things can separate us from the love of God. Listen, this world is going to try to convince you that God doesn't love you. And it's really good at it. It's really good at it. It's going to try to make things go so badly for you that you'll wonder if God loves you. Like, how can this happen if God loves me? So Paul is attacking that lie here before it even escapes the lips of our enemy in our life. The lie that says, how can God love me if he would allow me to suffer like this? And the way he's attacking it is kind of like this. Recently, we were in Louisville for the T4G conference. And this year, they held this conference in the the newly remodeled Louisville Convention Center. Now, being a builder, I was amazed at something that probably nobody, but maybe other builders in the in the arena recognized. But I was amazed at the massive expanse of this room, without any supporting columns. This room had to have been at least two or three footballs foot fields wide, without any supporting columns in the middle. There was just all supported by this one massive steel buttress. Now, the reason I give you that image is because you could see that steel lying in a yard or a plant or something like that somewhere, and they could explain to you how strong it is and what it can do. But until that buttress is actually installed in a room, until you can see how much it could support Until you see that girder under pressure, until you see it under strain, it's not so amazing. The same can be said about the faithfulness of God's love. You see, you could say that God loves us. You could even say that God has conquered our enemy and our confidence in him is unbreakable. You can say that, but it isn't incredible until someone tries to break it until someone puts some strain on that massive girder. And our God isn't willing to let us go through this life without experiencing just how strong the depth of His love is for us. We're told that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, but that isn't enough for God. He says, my my love is more than just words, and I'm going to prove it to you. So when the Bible says that we are more than conquerors, it's not saying that everything will go perfect for us. No. A love that has not been put under strain is weak. It's very weak. So Paul is explaining that if we are more than conquerors, excuse me, he's explaining that we are more than conquerors. Because when the forces of darkness and evil, and those that are against God, the forces of hatred and subjection, when those forces come against us, we will experience the real magnificence of the unbreakableness of God's love for us in Christ. In this world, where everyone else is wandering around, bowed and defeated by sin and death, unable to bear the strain or the weight, we will be the ones who will broadcast the light of the victory of Jesus like a beacon in the darkness through our joy and our peace and our, and our, and our confidence that we have in our Savior's love as it holds strong through that strain of our enemy's attack. Condemn me and I'll point to the cross. Persecute me and I'll pray for you. Starve me and I'll feed on God's word. Strip me of my clothes and I'll be robed in righteousness and the armor of God. Kill me and I'll die smiling. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because my God has proved to me that nothing can separate me from the love of my Savior. In fact, anything that you can do to me will only drive me closer to Him. So bring it, world. That's what Paul's saying. Bring it. Give us your best. Because we cannot be separated from the love of God. Brothers and sisters, We are more than conquerors of those who would try to separate us from the love of God. Not because everything will go perfect, but because our God loves us us enough to put some strain, to put some weight on that love and let us experience how strong it actually is. And that love is so strong that when we have the confidence that everything that this world can throw at us, everything will only backfire in in, in exposing the glory of that love. World, bring your worst. And all you'll do is expose the light shining out of this vessel. Break it even. It's just going to shine brighter. Hate us and you will expose the love of Christ. Christ. Persecute us, and you'll expose the peace of Christ. Imprison us, and you'll expose the freedom of Christ. Kill us, and all you'll do is cause the blinding light of the life of Christ to radiate out of these vessels. Because we are more than conquerors. Not on our own. Not because of, of our friends or anything that we can do. Because we're so tough but because we know that nothing can separate us from the proven love of God that is in Christ our Lord, and He is alive. Therefore, brothers and sisters, because we are more than conquerors of those who would condemn us and of those who would try to separate us from the love of Christ, let there be dancing in the darkness. Let our song break through the night. Lift your voice and sing that Christ is King, for Jesus is alive. Stand with me, please, and let's make that our worship.